You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good evening. We're doing the next class in the series on the Tributaries of Eden. And tonight we'd like to cover both the Parsha and some of the upcoming Yamtov, whose name shall not be named. Okay. There's a line in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, perhaps one of the most underappreciated lines in all of the Haggadah, which comes right after the mention of the four sons. The Haggadah says, quoting from the Mechilta, Yachol Meirosh Chodesh. So I might have thought that maybe we should start the mitzvah of Pesach. I might have thought you should start Rosh Chodesh. Talmud Lomar, Bayomahu. Therefore the verse tells us, Bayomahu, meaning it tells us, you should speak to your child, Bayom Hahu Lemar, on that day. And therefore, the Torah is telling us, even though I might have thought you should begin the mitzvah sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, from Rosh Chodesh, don't start Rosh Chodesh, start Bayomahu. And of course, that comes into the Haggadah, because we had just quoted that verse as the answer to the She'enu Yudea Lisho, to the, um, well, not an answer, but the statement to the child who doesn't know how to ask. We say, the Torah tells us, tell your child on that day, and so once we are there, we say, by the way, that verse which we speak to the child who doesn't know how to ask, that verse also is the source for why the Seder is only on Pesach night. The question is, why would I have thought that the Seder should begin from Rosh Chodesh? If the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim didn't happen until Pesach, and usually we celebrate on the day or after the day that the miracle happens, uh, why would we think that we should start describing the, the plagues weren't even done yet? That's question number one. Question number two is from the Parsha of Kiddush HaChodesh. The Torah begins, and we're going to read this this Shabbos, HaChodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh Chadashim. Hashem introduces to the Jewish people the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. Everyone knows that first Rashi in Parshas Bereshis, where Rashi asks that the Torah should have begun from here. The Torah should have begun with the words, Vayomer Hashem al Moshe al Aaron, Baretz Mitzrayim Lemor, HaChodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh Chadashim. And Rashi stops on the word hazeh. So what is hachodesh hazeh? And Rashi quotes from the Mechilta, Niskasha Moshe al molad halavana. Moshe found difficult to be able to understand the concept of the molad, of the birth of the new moon. Be'eze shiur te'ra'eh. What's the amount? What's the measure of the size of the moon, which it would now be considered a new month. How much moon do you have to see to be able to sanctify the new month? So Hashem actually showed Moshe, with a finger, whatever that means, the moon in the sky. This is what you should see, and you should sanctify the new month. What was Moshe's difficulty? What was so hard to understand? Hashem, I think 
if we, assuming we know the shear, we should be able to describe if you see a sliver, if you see a certain amount of uh, light coming from the moon, you should know that it's not just some reflection of a cloud. There should be enough visibility. Why here, from all the mitzvahs in the Torah, although there are a few such examples, of all the mitzvahs in the Torah, here Moshe Rabbeinu found this to be so difficult. What about uh, the laws of uh, leprosy and all these other things that are dependent on such um, fine details? And we don't find this type of expression. Uh, that's, of course, hachodesh hazeh lochem. Hazeh means like this, that there's something that Hashem was showing Moshe. What was it that Hashem was showing Moshe? That's the second question of the evening. And the third is actually directly in this week's parsha. It says, Vayavu es hamishkan el Moshe. They brought the mishkan to Moshe. The Torah then goes on to describe all the parts that they brought to Moshe. And the Torah goes on to describe how the Mishkan was assembled and put together. The Torah tells us, Vayakem Moshe as Mishkan, that Moshe put up the Mishkan. And Rashi tells us, and of course you'll see a bit of a pattern here. They brought the Mishkan. The Jewish people tried to assemble the Mishkan, and they couldn't do it. But it was because Moshe had not yet had a chance to take a part in the building of the Mishkan. Hashem left it for Moshe to put up. So this is from the Medrash Tanchuma, that this was a special dispensation given to Moshe Rabbeinu. Because nobody could put it up. Because the Krashim were just too heavy. These were solid pieces of wood that were 10 amas tall, let's go with the most lenient opinion, which is 15 amas high, and an amma wide. These were giant pieces of wood. And they didn't, it's not just that they had to set them up, they had to assemble them like a Lego set. They had to stand them up and connect them to each other and put the adonim underneath, well, that they could have done before, and then put the poles through them and hold them together. And if you've ever tried to put up a very heavy sukkah, you've got to keep one wall up while you're putting the other wall up, because it doesn't hold itself unless all three walls are up. Umosha hamido. Moshe put them up. And that's why it says, Vayaka Moshe, the Mishkan, Moshe put up the Mishkan. But so the thing... put it up all by himself? Or did he put it up with the help of other people? It sounds like he put it up all by himself. Well, we'll see. Rashi continues. Rashi says, well, actually, Moshe couldn't do it either. Moshe says to Hashem, How could anybody put up the Mishkan? This is impossible. Hashem says to him, all right, here's what we'll do. Asok ata You go through the motions. Nira kimakimo. And it'll look like you're putting it up. But I'll put it up. So you just go through the motions and through you, much like Shechina Medaberis Mitoch Grono, that 
Moshe, even sometimes when he was speaking the Vua, it was Hashem's voice, but it was coming through, it was being channeled through Moshe. So here, it was Moshe representing Hashem, and he was going through the motions. That's why the Torah tells us, Hukam HaMishkan, the Mishkan went up. It was put up almost on its own. Because Moshe himself could not put it up. The question is, why did Hashem make a Mishkan and tell us to build a Mishkan that we're unable to put it up? And why is it that we couldn't get together a large group of people? I mean, you see the stones that make the pyramids. Uh, they have all kinds of uh, theories for how they put them up. Those are heavier, way heavier than the Krashim were. There are stones and there are some, still some, some, some structures. In the Holy Land, some of the stones of the Kosel that are so large that they don't even have theories for how they move them. Yet somehow they did it. So why didn't, why was it done in this way where the Jewish people tried to put it up and it failed and clearly Hashem was causing that it should be this way and Moshe um, then tries to do it and it's his job. It was like the special gift that he was given but he himself couldn't do it. And then eventually Hashem puts it up for him. What's the understanding behind that? So let's start with the first question first. Yachol Merosh Chodesh. I might have thought that we should start fulfilling the mitzvahs of Pesach, starting from Rosh Chodesh. There's, so there's a commentary on the Haggadah Shal Pesach by the Ritva. The Ritva gives two explanations for why I might have thought that we should start the Seder on Rosh Chodesh. The first is because that's when Moshe Rabbeinu begins to give instructions to the Jewish people regarding the Pesach Seder, as we will read on Shabbos, and when it says, Al-Chodesh Zelachem Rosh Chadashim, it then continues, and here's what you should do, you should get hold of a sheep, and then the Torah goes on to describe not just the mitzvah of Korban Pesach, but the mitzvah of Achilles Matzah and Moror, and it basically, it gives us the instructions. So therefore, I might have thought, says the Ritva, that the performance of the mitzvahs should begin not from when the miracle happened, but from when the Jewish people first learned about this mitzvah, which was on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's his first explanation. The second explanation is actually directly from the verse. The Torah tells us, and you shall do this work, which refers, of course, to Pesach night, as we know the question of the Rasha, Moha hazos lachem, that the mitzvah of the Pesach Seder is considered an avoda. The Torah tells us, ha'aviv. You should do it during the month of Aviv, which Aviv refers to Nisan. Now the simple reading, or the simple understanding is, that you should do this avoda on some day, on some part of the Chodesh Aviv, meaning on the 15th of Nisan, but you could read it, that you should do the performance of this mitzvah the entire month. We should spend a month, we should have uh, um, Egypt Remembrance Month, uh, the entire month of Nisan. Says the Ritva, that's why the Agadah tells us, Yachol Me Rosh Chodesh, I might have thought it's Rosh Chodesh, Tamad Loma Bayamahu on that day. And actually, that gives a good suggestion for why there should be a connection between the four sons and the next line being, I might have thought you should do it uh, from Rosh Chodesh, it might be because since the Torah is telling you that you have to have 
a different seder, a different approach for different children and different people. You're supposed to customize the seder. The Haggadah is only the um, framework for the real mitzvah, which is you should speak to your child. So maybe we need four, five, ten, thirty seders throughout the month of Nisan in order to accomplish it. That's what I might have thought. However, there's an insight from Rabbi Yashaber Salvechik of Boston. He suggests that there's a famous Ramban who says that when it says, you should remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. And the question is, why does the Torah say you should remember the day of Shabbos? Usually when the Torah tells us to keep a mitzvah, it just tells us what to do. The Torah doesn't then need to say you should remember to do this mitzvah. Remember it all week. So says the Ramban, the famous Ramban, that we are actually um, not supposed to keep Shabbos only on Shabbos. We're supposed to keep Shabbos during the entire week. And one of the ways of the performance of this is in a statement which we say every day in the davening when we do the Shir Shal Yom. We don't say Hayom Yom Shlishi, we say Hayom Yom Shlishi B'Shabbos. Meaning, this is, literally means the third day of the week, but we're remembering Shabbos by mentioning Shabbos um, every day of the week. And there's actually some halachic ramifications to this. There are ways that we are required to fulfill Shabbos even during the weeks. For example, the Gemara tells us that we should not get on a boat during uh, from Wednesday and on because since Shabbos is approaching and when you get on a boat, it's going to be a long journey. And once you're on the boat, you're allowed to be on the boat on Shabbos. But in order to show that you'd rather be able to perform Shabbos in its best way, you get on the boat Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday rather than now. It's not a halachic ruling if someone has a a very important thing, such as the cruise is only leaving on a Friday, speak to your local Orthodox rabbi. But the, the concept of Ema and we don't go out on a trip, or, more commonly quoted halacha, um, biting nails. Biting nails, someone who bites their nails is technically, on Shabbos, is technically, although not on a biblical level, um, although that's um, debatable, um, is transgressing or not observing Shabbos to the fullest. So we're told, Zohar Siyama Shabbos Lekacho, that um, you should avoid, you know, get rid of that habit in order to avoid accident. Anyway, that's, that's all in terms of Shabbos. Says Rabbi Yashiber Salvechik that Yochol Merosh Chodesh, I might have thought that we should begin a sort of um, opening process to Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim starting earlier in the month. In the same way that in order to get to Shabbos, you have to be thinking about Shabbos all week and you have to be buying food for Shabbos. And every time you see something that's good for Shabbos, depending on Beisham, Beisil, but you're supposed to think about Shabbos all week. In the same way, you're supposed to think about Pesach the whole month. So maybe that's why we have all this cleaning and scrubbing and buying and all these other things. Maybe it's just a way to get us to think about. However... Tamaloma Bayomahu, the actual Seder, should only be on that on that day. Uh, as a total aside, there's actually some discussion about the custom that we have that on Shabbos Agadol, the Shabbos before Pesach, people recite the Haggadah 
not the entire Agada, but that section, um, up until Lechaper uh, al and there were some people who raised the issue with this. Yachol Merish Chodesh. I might have thought, meaning you're supposed to make that the Agada should be fresh, and so you shouldn't read, read through it. However, the custom is that we do. However, there are some who say that it's okay to do it, but not when Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos, there some of them say, since you're going to be reading the Seder, anyway, total aside, but there is this concept of Yachol Merosh Chodesh, that I might have thought that you should start earlier. There, the Azhar of in his Sefer Eish Das, gives this a little bit of a deeper understanding. He says that the concept of Pesach night is the birth of the Jewish people. It's interesting that, uh, I don't know if anyone says this, but um, according to one calculation, the process for getting the Jewish people out of Egypt was a nine-month process. It depends on how, the, we know the plagues were, were a month each, which would make it a 10-month process, but we know that Choshech and Makas Bechorus were both in the same month. In fact, uh, Choshech ended, and uh, Paro says to him, get out, you're not going to, um, um, you know, don't, don't show up in front of my face anymore. And Moshe says to him, well, okay, if I'm not coming back, let me just give you the warning for the last plague once I'm here. So, and he gave Makas Bechorus. So that would mean that it was a nine-month process. And that's because the, uh, and I recently said this in one of the shiurim, but there's a famous Hassam Sofer who says that the reason why we use the beitza, we use the egg, um, f- to represent the korban chagiga is because we can't have meat because we don't claim to be bringing a korban outside the base of but we want something that's close to being meat. So, but it isn't meat, which is the egg. However, he says there's something more, is because the, since it represents the birth of the Jewish people, he says the Jewish people actually experienced two separate births, which is when they left Egypt, that was the early birth special. Right? And, then, and then the second time was by Matan Torah. So he says the chicken, which comes from the egg, is also the, the bird, is the only one that's born twice. Once when the... Um, a hen lays the egg, which is one birth, but then it can go either way, and depending on the choices made, it can be born again as a chicken. In the same way, the Jewish people came out, at that point they were still in the stage of depending on how they take it, and that's why the egg represents the Jewish people, that's the Beitza on the Seder plate. Very beautiful explanation from the Chassam Sofer. But back to what, what we're saying, is that it, the um, Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim was the birth of the Jewish people. That may explain to you why in that poem at the end of the Seder, we talk about who knows one, who knows two, and there's a way to tie most of them into the story of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, except for nine. Well, who knows nine? Nine months of birth. But according to this, it makes sense. That too is related to the Sipur uh, Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, because it was a nine-month process. Anyway, but he says that Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim is the concept of chidush, of renewal, of something new coming into being. The world being without purpose, without its messengers, without the soldiers of Hashem. Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim is the chidush, the renewal of the Jewish people. And he says, if the concept of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim is chidush, is creation anew, 
then no part of the month is more greatly related to the inception of the Jewish people, to the um, creation of the Jewish people, than Rosh Chodesh, which is, the word Chodesh means month and renewal. And we know the Jewish people are compared to the moon, because the birth of the Jewish people is the molad of the moon. And therefore, this month is for you. The entire month represents the, the moon, the new moon, the first time that it was sanctified, represents the Jewish people being born. And therefore, because actually much of the holiness of the night of Pesach, much of the greatness of Yetzias Mitzrayim was, is contained in that day. That's why Rashi argues that that should have been the beginning of the Torah, because as much as the creation of the world, the world was, was empty. The first 2,000 years, says the Gemara, were really tov avov. And only once the Avos come on the stage, which culminates in 2448 in Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, at that point is the world actually done being created. Yom Hashishi, the sixth day, which we say refers to Yom Hashishi, the sixth day of Sivan. The Exodus is really the creation of the world, and that's where the Torah should begin. But where should the Torah begin? He says, that's Yachol Meirish Chodesh. I might have thought that we should tap into the power of that month by beginning the process on Rosh Chodesh. But if I may, I'd like to take this to a, a, a little bit of a deeper understanding. And this might be a little complicated, but bear with me here. The Pachad Yitzchak, or of Yitzchak Utner, the Roshiva of Chaim Berlin, shares uh, an unbelievable concept in terms of some of the process of Yitzchak Mitzrayim. He quotes a Rambam. The Rambam says that the Jewish people left with Moshe Rabbeinu not really believing in Moshe Rabbeinu. What does that mean? It means, the Torah tells us, if a prophet comes along, or if a person comes along and says, I am a prophet, we put him through a test. We ask him for a sign, and if he gives us a sign, the sign comes true, and he gives us instructions that don't breach any of the rules of the Navi, we are obligated to listen to him. Not because we are convinced that he's truly from Hashem, we have a chazako, you take the assumption that he comes from Hashem, but the reason why we listen to him is because the Torah tells us to listen to a Navi. But this is not so, this is not the case, in the case of what we call a shliach, talked about this previously. In the case of a shliach, which is someone who's a messenger, not just to give us short-term instructions, but to be the one to bring down the Torah. It's not enough that he performed miracles, even if they're not parlor tricks, even if they are grand miracles, such as turning a river into blood, or the death of all the firstborn in Egypt in one instant, even though that was directly through Hashem, but it was Moshe who forecasted that that would happen. Even if he performs all the still, we, we don't really believe that he can bring a new law, that he can tell us how to run our lives. 
until at Har Sinai, Hashem Himself speaks to us and appoints Moshe. And in fact, the Torah says there, "Vigam yaminu la'olam." Through this process, they will believe in you forever. Says the Rambam, you see from here, what do you mean they will believe in you? It already says when Moshe arrived that the people believed. They believed enough to follow him out of Egypt, to believe that he can take them, that he can lead them into a place and keep them safe despite the dangers of the wilderness, because he had shown himself to be a a prophet of Hashem to, to perform miracles. But if Moshe had said, okay, and now here is the law from God, we would have said to him, we need something more. That's the Rambam. Wait, the, I don't really understand the difference between Shaliyah and Navi. I thought I did. Are you saying Navi is higher than Shaliyah? No, 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 Navi is less. I mean, it's not really more or less. The Navi is a prophet who comes with specific instructions. With um, it's, it's almost uh, a short-term kind of adjustment. We're not talking about when the Navi gives Musar and Tochacha, of course, but we're talking about when he gives instructions. So, like we, we know, the Navi can only change the Torah on a temporary basis, and even then, not on Avodah Zarah. He has very limited permission. But a Navi can't come down and say, well, from now on, we have this new, we have this new law. Here is this new book, which says, from now on, you do things differently, and worship differently, and, and have a month long of fasts. We, we don't believe a prophet who says that. For that, you need a shaliach who actually Hashem himself, and we know Hashem speaks to us and says, I'm appointing him as a shaliach. But there was no Torah yet. There was no way to know if there was a prophet. There was no instructions as to who was a prophet and who wasn't. Right, right. But, but there is this concept of someone who brings signs that you believe. Uh, that even without the Torah, we can understand that if someone is performing miracles, that we should believe them to go out into the wilderness. It's not a, it, it's it's only a change of location. That's not a change in the definition of my soul. But for me to become another kind of person, for me to change the rules, to have a, a whole six hundred thirteen mitzvahs that I'm going to keep, we don't accept that until Hashem Himself tells us that that's what He wants, and that's why we've rejected all the other religions. Because we say, if Hashem wants to change it, Hashem himself told us that he's appointing Moshe a messenger, if you want us to change, so let Hashem tell us. So we only have one shliach then? So there's only been one shliach. And uh, according to some, that's actually what we mean when we say, um, in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, Ani velo malach, ani velo sarf, ani velo hashaliach, According to some, that Shaliach refers to Moshe. It's interesting because he comes after the angels, like he's higher than the angels. I, I did, not only did I not send the angels or the fiery angels, but it wasn't even Moshe who I entrusted with Marcus Bechoris, but Hashem himself, Bechvod of Atzmo, came down to came down to Egypt. So Moshe will also be a Shaliach, the second and the last one. Right. I mean, the definition of that is uh, still up for um, you know, still. Different books phrase it differently, but yeah, that's certainly according to some opinions. Well, he could have Hashem could have had him raise his stick in the air and uh, all the firstborn die, but it sounds like Moshe was locked in his house like everyone else. It's a maybe it's not a picture we usually think of, but uh, Moshe's off the scene, and we know he's in his house because Paro goes running around in his pajamas in the middle of the night looking for Moshe. Also, how do we know that um, Israel left Egypt not really believing in Moshe? 
because, so the Rambam proves this from the fact that Hashem says, come, I'm going to speak to them, they're going to see me appoint you, and then, they believe in you. So that means that there was some failure in, in the Emunah. Now, the problem is, says the Rambam, it says in Egypt they did believe. So that's what his answer, that they believed in him as a Navi, but not necessarily as a Shaliyah. Asks Rav Hutner, what we would call a Bam Kasha. What about by Kriyas Yamsuf? Where it says, They believed in Hashem and in Moshe. What did they believe? If it's in the sense of him being a prophet, it already says in Egypt that they believed in Moshe as the prophet. He showed them the signs and they believed. If it's in terms of a shaliach, that's not going to happen for another 42 days until they arrive, until Har Sinai. So what happened at Kriyas Yamsuf? So Rav Hutner gives a very novel explanation. He says, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, a very difficult Gemara tells us, that you can't appoint a Sanhedrin, you can't appoint members of the Sanhedrin, unless you have a Sanhedrin of 71. So you need the 71 Sanhedrin, meaning the 70 judges and the Av Basin, to all be together, and only they can appoint another member of the Sanhedrin. So the question is, much like the tongs in the first, uh, the, in the first creation, so who made the first Sanhedrin? So the issue, the Gemara says that what's the source that we need a Sanhedrin? Says the Gemara, because Hashem tells Moshe, I want you to appoint 71, ju- 70 judges. Asfili shivim ish, Hashem tells him to appoint 70 and he would be, Moshe would be the Av Basin. So you see from here that you need a court of 71 to appoint a court of 71. So Rashi kind of wonders at that and says, what do you mean? On the contrary, we see from here that one can appoint another 70. So Rashi explains that Moshe, because he is, the Gemara really says this, but Rashi explains this, that because Moshe was appointed by Hashem to be the judge, he is considered like 71. So what's the explanation of that? The reason is like this. Why, what does that mean that you need 71 to appoint 71? That you need 71 to appoint the Sanhedrin? The explanation is because the reason why the 71 are empowered, it's not just, it's not just that we picked random people. The Torah actually tells us that there is a concept of a based in Haggadah. And they are empowered to create the laws of the Torah. Hashem gave the Torah to mankind. Lo bashamayimi. It's no longer in heaven. We decide, even if Hashem would send a heavenly voice and say the rules are as follows, we would say, we're sorry, the Torah has already been given. Lo bashamayimi. In fact, it's happened. We've, we've rejected the psaq. Um, of Hashem, who wanted to rule like Rabbi Eliezer, we said, Loba Shemaimi, we don't hold like that, and we paskin differently. <coughs> but that's because Hashem gave the Sanhedrin this power through the Torah. Which would mean that if that same Torah would empower one individual to be like 71, it would be the same. If that the Torah would tell us that in this case 23 is enough, then 23, and if in this case 3 is enough. So it's not really the 71. The point is that you need 
the Supreme Court, as appointed by Hashem originally appointing Moshe, you need the Supreme Court to appoint a Supreme Court. So the first Supreme Court is Moshe himself, who is appointed by Hashem, and then Moshe is then able to create a further Supreme Court. That's very much like Hashem needing to make the first tongs so that mankind would then be able to use that tongs to create more tongs. Where did Hashem appoint Moshe to be the judge of the Jewish people? To be the Dayan? Says Rav Hudner, HaChodesh Hazah Lachem Rosh Chodesh. Kiddush HaChodesh, to sanctify the new month, to declare today's Rosh Chodesh, is only done by the Supreme Court. Only they. There, another court can't establish Rosh Chodesh. When we talk about the court deciding that when, when Rosh Chodesh should be, and we know that they are so much empowered to do so, that we darshan, we learn from the word Atem, um, well, Osam, which is darshan as Atem, we learn, the Torah teaches us, that even if the Sanhedrin was to intentionally declare Rosh Chodesh on the wrong day, of course, if they do it accidentally or by mistake, that for sure it's still considered. But even if they intentionally, because they feel like it, they know it's the other day, it's Rosh Chodesh. When the heavenly courts, the Medrash tells us, when the heavenly courts assemble for the judgment on Rosh Hashanah, and Basin decides, you know what, Rosh Hashanah is going to be tomorrow, the heavenly court, they disassemble, someone has to go clean up, you know, put apart all the tables and chairs, they're going to reconvene tomorrow. Court has been um, put in recess because a bunch of rabbis decided that Rosh Chodesh or Rosh Hashanah was going to be tomorrow. That act of declaring the new month is an act only of the Supreme Court. And when Hashem says to Moshe, Kizeh Re'eh when you see the moon like this, you are to sanctify it. Hashem at that point empowers Moshe to be the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, which then allows him to appoint a further court. So is this Supreme Court uh, more stronger than a Navi? That's an interesting question, because they're, they're the ones who vet the Navi. Okay. Um, they could but, change any law they want? Well, no, they have to use the system of the Torah. In certain places, they can change any law they want, such as by Kiddush HaChodesh, they can move it to the wrong day, even B'mezid, and it works. But the, most of the time, they have to follow the rules of the Torah. They have to, the rules we even for the Sanhedrin. On Pesach if they change the dates. Right, but they're changing the dates, and that actually changes when Pesach is. It's not that they're telling you to eat chametz on, on Pesach. When they change the date, when they say we're going to add another Adar, so Pesach is the next month. It's, it's not that they're telling you to eat chametz on Pesach. So, Rav Hudner takes this a step further, and this is a little bit of a difficult leap, so just bear with me, and if you have an explanation for this, please feel free to share it. Rav Hudner then says that Yitzias Mitzrayim doesn't end until Kriyas Yamsuf. The Jewish people are still technically in Egypt. We talked about this a number of weeks ago when we talked about the four languages of Geula, and we said according to Rabbeinu Bachye, Vehotseisi refers to the Jewish people leaving Egypt, and Vehitzalti refers to, um, or Vigaalti, I'm sorry, Vigaalti refers to the 
um, Jewish people crossing the sea and watching the Egyptians being killed. That is the completion of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. When we say that Moshe said, when Hashem says to Moshe, says Rav Hutner, that even though he was appointed a judge at that moment, his role as the supreme judge of the Jewish people is not solidified until the completion of the Exodus. It's a little bit difficult to understand why. I'll offer a suggestion, but that's all Rav Hutner says. And what I think he means and if you have a better suggestion, please please share, is that HaChodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh Chadashim also empowers the Jewish people to change not only the calendar, but to change nature itself. The, um, the Yerushalmi gives examples. I'm not going to go into the specifics of all the examples, but... The Yerushalmi tells us that when Basin will add a month or add a day, it will actually change the nature of all things which would have happened. In other words, obviously when we're adjusting because we're behind, so then clearly if we don't adjust, it's still going to be winter. But, but it means even in a case where the weather has already started warming, if Basin will add a month, they'll add another Adar, the temperature will actually reverse somewhat. Uh, it could be that today we don't have a Sanhedrin, so we don't know how to test it, but the Yerushalmi says that that's what would happen. It would, it would then cool back down because Bastin has decided. So that's the power of Bastin, not just to declare that, but also to rule over nature. And so Achodesh Hazel Achem Rosh Chadashim doesn't just empower Moshe and the Sanhedrin over the calendar, but actually gives us a control over nature itself. So that was done by one of the last Sanhedrins who realized that there would be no more Sanhedrin. And so they actually sanctified each and every month. They did it for us. They said, that's going to be Rosh Chodesh, Mekudosh, 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 that's going to be Rosh Chodesh. And they declared it because you need a Sanhedrin to do it. So now we're locked in to that calendar, but if we would bring back a Sanhedrin, may it be soon speedily in our days, at that point we will be able to make those same adjustments again. When there's an extra month of, of Adar, does that mean the temperature in Nisan is the same as it would oh, oh, be oh. had there not? Right, that's what the Yerushalmi tells us. In the days of the Sanhedrin, things would adjust that way. Oh, but now it doesn't. Now it doesn't, because even though it was Makudish, but it wasn't done It wasn't done like that. I mean, it could be it does. Maybe someone should test it, but um, the, this statement was said about when Sanhedrin does it. So when we have a new... Building, they're going to go back to the witnesses thing? Yeah. Or are we going to keep this? Oh, it, uh, if, 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 seemingly we should go back to the witnesses. That's, a, that's the proper way of doing it. That's the way the Torah wants us to do it. So the Rosh Chodesh can change just because it's a cloudy evening. That's correct. That's correct. Now, Hilchus is very complicated. The Rambam discusses this at length. You know, to a certain extent, um, we, we do use calculations as part of it. We're never going to be off by more than a day or two. But the question is, which day to declare Rosh Chodesh? That's what's going to change. But uh, you're still because in the days of the in the days of the um, Sanhedrin, um, the next month would be declared after twenty. You could have three months in a row of twenty nine days. So it, it'll catch up based on the the way the things are seen.
So I feel like there's two conflicting things here. One is that Moshe's appointment was, um, as judge, was you said it was at the splitting of the sea. But in order for him to declare the new month, he had to be the judge to declare the... Well, we'll see. We're going to get to that. It's, it's, he's not really considered the judge fully. That was he declared Rosh Chodesh, but that's not solidified until, until, until the Jewish people actually leave. And the process which came along with this Achodesh Azalechem comes true based on Moshe's fulfillment and his power over nature of the splitting of the sea, showing that he was in fact the judge empowered over the world. At that point, Moshe is, is considered fully the Dayan. I mean, that's, Rafutna doesn't say that point about showing the power over nature. He just says, and leaves it as an open statement. He says, and this role of Moshe as the judge is not solidified until the splitting of the sea. I'm adding that it's because... But that would mean that his, the validity of the new month is in question. Was in question, that's correct. That's correct. Even though the Jewish people are going along with it, but his declaration of the new month was dependent on him showing that he's in fact... Um, Worthy of this role. So, how does Rav Hutner explain the Harsinai part? Then? Oh, so we'll get we'll get back to that in, in just a second. So, um, he says, "Vayaminu b'Hashem b'Moshe Avdo." What happens at the splitting of the sea is that the Jewish people find themselves completely free. Vayar Yisrael es Mitzrayim meis al Sfasayam. They saw the Egyptians dead, and they said Moshe is in fact worthy of that role. Which means that, it's incredible, Rav Hutner says this, while, while the Rambam says that there were two separate stages in the Jewish people's trust and relationship with Moshe. Step one, which is when he shows up and performs the signs, and he then earns their trust as a Navi. And step two, says the Rambam, when Hashem formally appoints Moshe in the earshot of the Jewish people as the messenger, as the shaliach. At that point, the Jewish people believed in Moshe as a shaliach. Rav Hutner is adding a third in the middle. He's saying that Moshe was appointed Navi when he arrives in Egypt. He was appointed Dayan, the judge, the supreme halachic ruler, when he's given the role of Achodesh Azalchem, which is still contingent upon his showing himself the worthiness, which is then by Aminu Hashem and Moshe Avdo. And then that is formally sealed, um, meaning Moshe's relationship with the Jewish people is formally sealed when Aminu when Hashem speaks to him at Har Sinai and appoints him as the Shulich. That's why it says Moshe Avdo, not Moshe Shalich. Oh, right. Moshe Avdo, to be like... Oh. Think about that. So it, it makes sense that you could trust him to, to take you to freedom, but to rule over every aspect of your life, mm-hmm. when you eat, how you put on your shoes, how you marry, absolutely every aspect of your life is some other huge right. commitment. Absolutely. Many people believe in God and this and that, but they don't want to do all this other stuff. Right, right. Actually changing who we are and what we do and uh, changing our whole existence and our essence and um, you know, the way we live our lives, not just where we live, absolutely. And that, that's the Chiddush of the Rambam. I mean, there's other sources, but that's the Rambam's Chiddush. Rav is just adding this middle stage. So it's interesting, you'll hear many people say, a famous question, why is Moshe Rabbeinu's name not mentioned in the Haggadah? His name is mentioned in the Haggadah, in one place. 
in that part that everyone runs through quickly because they just want to get to the Dayenu. But it says there, by the three, now his name is not mentioned there either, right? but by the three opinions, right, one says that there were ten plagues in Egypt, fifty at the sea, the other one says each one was made up of four. Take a look there. It says at the end there, Vayaminu Hashem Moshe Avdo, and that's the source, that verse, which means if in Egypt the plagues were one finger, so then if the, uh, in the sea it was five, and there it says, that's the only place where Moshe's name is mentioned in the entire Haggadah. So, think about this. Why is this the only verse? Well, don't we know Moshe is not mentioned in Agada because the emphasis of the night is in Achad Alekinu Shoshmaim Baaretz? As we mentioned before, the Agada might go out of its way to say Anivelo Malach, Anivelo Saf, Anivelo Hashaliach, as if to say we're not going to mention Moshe. According to one opinion, Moshe is actually the author of the structure of the Agada, which is why his name is not mentioned, because if it was up to him, his name wouldn't be mentioned in the Torah either. That's the small Aleph in Vayikra. Uh, the, but uh, why is this the only place where he's mentioned? And the answer is because Moshe as the Shaliach doesn't appear in the Haggadah. And maybe even Moshe as the Navi doesn't appear. But Moshe as the Dayan, that middle stage, that can appear. Because Vayaminu Hashem Moshe Avdo seals Moshe as the Hachodesh Hazel Lachem. That Moshe is in charge of declaring the rules and the laws for the Jewish people to be the arbiter, to be the judge, that much he is able to be given mention in, in, the, in the Haggadah, perhaps. So even though we would otherwise not mention him, this Vayaminu Bashem, we, we could mention Moshe in this regard. So if that's true... Then Yachol Merish Chodesh, going back, perhaps you could suggest that Yachol Merish Chodesh, I might have thought that we should start telling the story from Merish Chodesh. Because Yitzias Mitzrayim begins with Achodesh Azalachem and ends at Kriyas Yamsuf. And this Vayaminu Hashem Moshe Avdu is the ceiling of that. So if we want to begin the story, we should begin telling the story not from it was on that night, but we should begin with one of the greatest miracles, one of the most important events of the Jewish people, which is Hashem formally declaring Moshe as the supreme judge of the Jewish people. And if that happened on Rosh Chodesh, then we should begin the Seder on Rosh Chodesh. However, I'd like to, if we could take this a little bit deeper, I'd like to share with you the Hasidic approach from the Mar Vashamesh on uh, some of these ideas. This is a little deep, so just bear with me here. We know that Hashem interacts with this world on ten levels. They are known as the ten spheros, starting with Kesar, all the way down to Malchus, whatever those terms mean are beyond us. But we know that Hashem interacts with us through ten uh, spheres of influence. The last of those realms, the sphere of Malchus, of sovereignty, is, is what our world is in. We talked, about, we talked last week about the difference between Shema Yisrael and, and Baruch Shem. 
Baruch Shem representing this lower level of understanding that Hashem is the Melech over the world, where Hashem is interacting with the world. That's the realm of Malchus. That's the world which we live in. But the realm of Malchus does not have much light of its own. It has only what it receives from above. Because our world is a broken world. Our world is a world where the world itself doesn't have its own light. Only what comes down from it from above. That is represented, corresponds with the moon, which has no light of its own. The moon has only the light which it receives from the sun, because the moon represents this world. It represents the Jewish people. It represents the cycle of waxing and waning, where it has to wait to receive its light from the sun. So the realm of Malchus, the realm of the sovereignty of Hashem, which in this world is somewhat broken, that's why the moon was diminished, the diminishing of the moon. And as it turns out, I haven't seen any uh, books say this, but uh, at least not yet, that uh, the luminosity of the moon is actually, it's a very poor reflector, and it reflects, give or take, about 10% of the sun's light. And that the reason is because only the realm of Malchus, as opposed to the other nine Sephiros, which don't broadcast their light into this world. The role of us, of trying to fix the moon, of trying to fix the blemish brought into this world through the diminishing of the moon represented by the sin of Adam and Chava, is to bring back the light of the moon and to increase its light tenfold. To make that all ten aspects of the realm of Malchus, whatever that means, that all of it should illuminate and shine the way it's supposed to be. That's why the Kurashim are ten Amos high. Because the construct, the putting up of the Mishkan, was supposed to be done in a representation of the fixing of the world. When they put up that Mishkan, you know what they were going to do? They were going to create a channel by which to bring down the light of Hashem in its fullest force to change the whole world, to bring the world back so that it should shine of its own light. And so the light, which has gone from 100% to 10%, should once again be increased to 100% the moon will regain its own light and it will have the same crown, the same luminosity as the sun. But the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf. They sinned with the golden calf and they broke the world again. But there was one. There was one person who had no part in the sin of the golden calf. In fact, Hashem says to him, I'm going to destroy them all and I'll make a nation out of you. And that was Moshe Rabbeinu, who was up in the mountain. It's a wonder, because Yeshua was at the bottom of the mountain, and he wasn't a part of it, but he was still around, I guess. Maybe he should have been with the people. I don't know what what the argument is. He just said last week that he caused the Hezekiah. That's true. That is true. But nevertheless, he had no part in the actual, in the presence of it. That is a good point. I thought the whole building of the Mishkan was because of the Eagle. Right, so the Mephoshim tell us that Parsha's Truma appears before is that there was going to be a Mishkan anyway. But the Mishkan was going to be of a different system. According to some, the Mishkan would have been within each person. 
whatever the shechanti b'socham, at that point it would have been within each person. Whatever the explanation is, but there would have been a mishkan anyway, it would seem. And that's why Parshas Truma is written before, saying it would have had a different meaning then, Truma Tetzava, and then Kisisa. At least that's one of the explanations. But the Jewish people failed, and therefore they couldn't put up the Mishkan, because they weren't in the position to do so. However, there was a Jew called Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, we're told, was ten Amos tall. Whether that means physically or spiritually, however we understand it. But Moshe Rabbeinu was fitting to do so. Perhaps, perhaps, Moshe Rabbeinu being appointed the judge to say, Kazera Eva Kadesh, that when you see this, when you see it like this, that's how you should sanctify it. When Hashem appoints Moshe as the supreme judge to have power and sovereignty over the Torah and over all of nature, at that point, Moshe did have the power to put up the the Mishkan. He still needed help from Hashem because the world is still a broken world and you still needed Hashem to do so in the same way that Moshe found difficulty. So says the Mar Shamish, the reason why Moshe found difficulty was the, with the moon was because he says, if the moon is so weak in terms of light, how will we ever fix the moon? How can we fix such a broken world? And Hashem says to him, Kizera Eve Kadesh, I am empowering you. Through me appointing you, I'm going to give you the Torah. And the Torah is a big Torah, and it's a complex Torah, and it's hard to keep. But through that Torah, you're going to be able to fix, fix the entire world. And that's why Moshe is the one who puts up the Mishka. The um, Medrash famously tells us that the first of Nisan had ten crowns. Asara Ataros, not Laosa Ayom. That day had ten crowns. Because on some level, the world was fixed on that Rosh Chodesh Nisan. There, on some level, the building of the Mishkan was the forgiveness. The first stage towards the fixing of the world. Well, there was the Mishkan put up on the first of Nisan. Yeah. The Mishkan was put up so on the first. So that actually aligns quite nicely. Right. Exactly. So the Mishkan, even though, according to some, it was ready months before, they would not put up the Mishkan until Vayihi Bayom Ashmini was the eighth day, meaning the eighth day of preparation, which was the first of Nisan. So you hear? Yachol Merosh Chodesh. I might have thought we should begin the Pesach Seder on Rosh Chodesh, because Rosh Chodesh is the day that the fixing of the moon begins with Kezerah Eve Kadesh, when Hashem appoints Moshe, and empowers Moshe to fix the world. And that's the day when Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim begins, and that's the day the Mishkan is first put up, the first of Nisan. In fact, many people have the custom that for the first 12 days of Nisan, they read the portion of the Torah which describes the process of the um, Nisim, of the princes of each tribe, bringing the offerings, because the first day of Nisan was the day that the, base of, the Mishkan was first put up. We are awaiting the fixing of the world. Even though we don't talk so much during the Seder about the future redemption, it's filled. Whether it's the fifth cup, whether it's starting the Seder with Hashata Hacha, Lashana Habab, Aradi Yisrael, whether we end the Seder with Lashana Habab, Yerushalayim, or we end the Seder with Va'asa Kadesh Baruchu, that Hashem is going to come and destroy the angel of death. Where, what, what, um, 
B'nei Beischa Bekarov, build your temple, may it be soon. There's even a famous tune quoted by the Shla in German of the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. There's all these undertones in the Pesach Seder about the future redemption. Because we are still in a broken world. We are in a world of the smaller piece of the matzah. We are in a world where all the matzahs are broken and we're still on some level in exile. But we are empowered. We're going to read this Shabbos. Every one of us, everyone is able to start the process on the first of Nisan of the rebuilding <coughs> excuse me, the rebuilding of the Mishkan and the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. And that's why, right at the beginning of the Seder, we say, well then, why have we been waiting two weeks? Let's make this a two-week Seder. Or better yet, let's make it a month Seder. And I know some people have their Seder and it feels like it's taking a month. But let's actually run it through the whole month of Nisan. Talmud Lomar Bayomahu, why? Because in the end, it's not just about the power to... Um, perform Kiddush HaChodesh, but it's also about the performance of Torah mitzvahs. Just in theory, knowing that Moshe is in charge, even when you get to Vayaminu Hashem and Moshe after the splitting of the sea, and we now declare Moshe to be the Dayan, you should know that it's still not the same until we receive the Torah, until we get to Har Sinai. So we need the matzah and the maru munachim lofanachim. We need the actual mitzvahs of the day. We need that we should stand there knowing that we are beginning the process to work towards Har Sinai. May we merit that through all these um, inspirations, that we should take them and sanctify not just the night, but work through the whole month. Make it a time of Kazeira Eve Kadesh that we should see and we should sanctify not just the moon, but ourselves. Let's prepare ourselves for the Lelis Kadesh Chag for the night that Hashem sanctified and made holy. And may we merit not just to relive again Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, but to see the future redemption. May it be. May it be. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.